It's not just good conversation, it's your voice on the weekends. Weekends with Kenny Rahmeyer on News Radio KLBJ. Hey, great show, Kenny. Have a good night. You have also argued with me, and you you give me your say, but you you don't you don't listen to what? it. Hey, how you doing, Kenny? Great show as usual. Thanks. Come on, talk to me. Oh, what's going on? What's going on? Yeah, what's going on? What's going on? Tell me what's going on. I'll tell you what's going on. What's everyone. Good afternoon. Thanks a lot for being with us on the weekends here on News Radio KLBJ. I'm Kenny Rahmeyer. Last Sunday of February 2024. And we've got a lot of presidential politics to get to after the big South Carolina Republican primary yesterday. So that's coming up here in just a moment on KLBJ. A little focus on what's next for Nikki Haley. How is it that she's still raking in millions of dollars if it's all but over for her? And also... On the Democrat side, President Biden's campaign this weekend complaining yet again about the lack of positive media coverage for the president. So we'll touch on that a little bit this afternoon. And if we take a look at presidential politics in this very important election year of 2024, what do we need more of in this presidential election cycle from the media, maybe even from some of ourselves. We'll talk about that here on KLBJ and a whole lot more. We've got some updates on if you were one of those that was without cell coverage, uh, AT&T customers, right? For many, many hours there. Well, they've got a deal for you now. Stand by for that. And a follow-up on that balloon that we saw floating over Utah on Friday afternoon. We've got uh, the latest developments on that. Turned out to be... Uh, not a whole lot, at least based on what we know so far. But what about that balloon? It's been just over a year ago that went across virtually all of the United States. And that have we heard all we need to hear about that? According to some in Congress, no, we haven't. And we'll have the latest on that for you here this afternoon on KLBJ. 512-836-0590. As always, you can... Give us a call or send us a text if you'd like to be a part of the program. A little bit of local news before we jump into the presidential politics here. This, after living here in Austin for many years, this is just the kind of story that you didn't used to see, especially this kind of story in, in broad daylight on a Saturday afternoon. Getting this from KVU, one person died yesterday afternoon, reportedly after being shot in a, a business park right off of Lamar and 183. The investigation is ongoing. Not a lot of details about that. It's just worth mentioning because that's just not the kind of stories you used to see here in Austin. Somebody gunned down in broad daylight and in that part of town, really. Not a lot more to say about that, but I just wanted to mention it. And as we work our way into some election coverage here, what's going on? Locally, have you voted early yet? I'll ask that question. I did that late last week. There's virtually nobody else in there except me, so it was pretty easy. KXAN reports that statewide early voting turnout so far, just under 3.5%. 
of all those who voted statewide, about 68% have been in the Republican primary, 32% have been in the Democrat primary. Here locally in Travis County, the most votes cast in the, in the Democrat Party, we came in, Travis County came in about number five statewide, just over 14,000 votes cast in the Democrat primary here locally so far. And so if you step back again, Republican turnout, about 2.3% of all registered voters in the state. And Democrat turnout, just over 1% of all registered voters in the state. And Travis County turnout so far, only 2.4%. That's pretty worthless. Maybe a lot more will vote this week, right? 512-836-0590. Give us a call or send us a text on KLBJ. Certainly not going to tell you how to vote. Just hope you get out and do it. So a lot of people did that in South Carolina yesterday, certainly on the Republican side. And gee, what a surprise. President Trump won over Nikki Haley by about 20 points. Haley got about 40% of the vote. She was hoping, I don't think she even uh, in her wildest dreams thought she was going to win, but I think she was hoping maybe for a little more momentum to try to narrow that gap. Well, it didn't happen. Trump got about 60%. She got about 40% of the vote. Trump dominated among voters who thought border security was the most important issue. Now, so I want to do a little bit of a deep dive and just the exit polling from a lot of these Republican voters, I think it was 2,100-some Republican voters that they talked to and and try to get a sense for which way the votes went as to whom and and what was top of mind for those voters. So I mentioned border security, big boost for for Trump. A Fox voter uh, analysis found that almost 60% of Haley's voters said they wouldn't vote for Trump. Wall Street Journal editorial out this weekend says if Trump's going to win, he's got to have some of those Haley voters. So this exit poll showed that 36% of voters said if a conviction were to happen in any of Trump's criminal trials, that would uh, make him unfit to be president. Haley, on the other hand, says she's going to keep going through Michigan and beyond into the Super Tuesday states. That's on March 5th. And she has enough support to do that, at least financially. And that's one of the questions. Where is all that money coming from? We know it's coming from a lot of big, big money donors. I mean, she raised, I've seen reports anywhere between 10 and $16 million last month. And her campaign says about the same amount for this month, the month of February so far. The reason 10 to 16, that's how much her campaign directly brought in versus one of the big super PACs that's behind her that, that brought in around $6 million. So it's amazing that she's continuing to, to get so much money that's keeping her going. So a lot of people keep asking, why is she doing that? I heard one of the uh, senior commentators on Fox News last night, uh, Brit Hume, right, has been around forever. His 
theory, his hypothesis is that the reason she's staying in, there's kind of two schools of thought. One is that she's staying in because if Trump goes down, the Republicans got to have somebody. And so she's thinking that might as well be her. Beyond that, Hume's theory was that she knows she really doesn't have much of any chance this time around, but she also knows there is a certain percent of those Republican voters that are not ever going to vote for Trump, and she's trying to lay claim to those and see if she can put her name and her brand on those people so that if she takes another run at it, say in four years, she would have an automatic head start with a lot of those people that were Nikki voters this time around, and and maybe they would stay with her for another run. Just just a couple of theories. Maybe you have some idea why she's sticking around. 512-836-0590. Those are two of the most logical theories I've heard so far, practically speaking. I mean, she's uh, she's got some ego, I suppose, but, I mean, let's face it. She, she didn't win in her home state, and you take a look at at the results of others who have not won in their home states, not very good. Certainly in the primaries, right? And let's just take a quick snapshot here before we go on. Elizabeth Warren dropped out of the 2020 Democrat primary two days after she lost Massachusetts on Super Tuesday. Back in 2016, Senator Marco Rubio dropped out the same day when he lost Florida his home state. Uh, Congressman Ron Paul, back in the day, stayed in the race for three months when he lost here in Texas to Senator John McCain. That's been a while back. And then Congressman Dennis Kucinich, Democrat, uh, he never officially dropped out of his race after losing in Ohio. I don't think he's still running, right? He's out. But it just kind of goes to show you that if you don't do well in your home state, most people say, okay, I'm out. Not so for Nikki Haley. You say, is that really important? You got to win your home state? Ask Al Gore. In the national election against George Bush, he lost 11 electoral votes in his home state of Tennessee. Boy, would those have come in handy in the race against Bush, as it turned out, huh? 512-836-0590 here on KLBJ. So, What's next for Haley? There's, um, it's all over the place from CNN, NBC, Politico. Everybody's got an opinion, and most of them are she ought to be getting out for various reasons. But they all do say, yeah, but she's raising, CNN calls it, a prodigious amount of money and is buying advertising all over the place. She's still has virtually no wins, even on the horizon, going into the Michigan primary coming up and then Super Tuesday beyond that. And the the theory is she's going to keep losing by progressively bigger margins. She lost by 20 points in South Carolina. The prospects are not good for her. And yet, between the political action committees, a lot of these advocacy groups, that are putting a lot of money. I mean, she spent, what was it, eight-some million dollars in South Carolina in a losing effort. So you take a look at these big-money people putting that kind of money in for her race and showing the kind of results. How is that kind of money going to continue for her? It, it makes you wonder, and yet 
She says she's not going anywhere. Trump, by the way, spent $370,000 in his in his run in South Carolina, that according to NBC. And so uh, Politico uh, points out, though, that she's got moderates, she's got independents, she's got Democrats. Their analysis is she's drawing a lot of support from Democrats who are crossing over in their state's primaries, and that's one of the reasons she's getting any support at all. Yesterday, 72% of Republicans supported Trump, 28% supported Haley. That's according to NBC News exit polls. Haley won independence with 59% of the vote. But she's got 15 to 20 fundraising events coming up all over the country over the month of March. So it's hard to see how she goes beyond Super Tuesday and, and beyond the Michigan primary, but... You know, people have been saying she should have been out a long time ago. Maybe all those votes from the independents and from the moderates and and all of that, maybe that's why the national director of the No Labels Group was on Fox earlier today and said, yeah, they would be interested in Nikki Haley. Uh, This is uh, Joe Cunningham talking on Fox earlier today. We're looking for great quality people, folks that have broad appeal to independents, Democrats, Republicans. And um, and yeah, I mean, Nikki Haley is somebody we'd, we'd definitely be interested in. We'll be making a decision before Super Tuesday. We've said from the onset that after Super Tuesday, we're going to look at who the presumptive nominees are. And if the vast majority of Americans are unhappy with those, and we feel like we can put forward a ticket or offer our ballot line to, to candidates who can win, then we're going to offer that ballot line. You know, we're on uh, 16 states currently. We have a pathway to get on all 50 states plus Washington, D.C. It's important for folks to remember at this particular time when Ross Perot was running, he was on zero states. And so, uh, you know, we're right on track, if not ahead of the game. And, uh, you know, we're, we're just securing ballot access right now. That's what we're focused on. Competitive three-way race in every state in our country, with the exception of two, all electoral votes go to the candidate who wins the most number of votes in their state. Like, so, in, for example, in South Carolina, Michigan, uh, Georgia, in a competitive three-way race, a candidate can win all electoral votes with as little as 34, 35% of the vote. You don't have to get over 50%. All right, so that's uh, the director of the, the No Labels group. Uh, what do you think? Is that, uh, I've read that that group's running on fumes right now, and that's probably not going anywhere. So if you just joined us, we're talking presidential politics. Uh, to sum it up, I'd say this, this pretty well does it. And we're going to be up here on November 5th, and we're going to look at Joe Biden, and we're going to look him right in the eye. He's destroying our country, and we're going to say, Joe, you're fired. Get out. Get out, Joe. You're fired. I said earlier this week that no matter what happens in South Carolina, I would continue to run for president. I'm a woman of my word. All right, so that pretty well sums it up, I think. We come back a little more detail on just who voted for Trump 
and who voted for Haley, and then a lot more presidential politics. Biden's team says he's still not getting enough positive press, and they're pretty ticked off about that. That and a whole lot more coming up here on KLBJ. And Kenny Rahmeyer back with you on a Sunday afternoon, live and local for you on News Radio KLBJ. Thanks a lot for being with us. We're wrapping up South Carolina Republican primaries yesterday. You know that Trump won by a wide margin. Uh, beat uh, Nikki Haley by about 20 points, 60% roughly to 40%. And so what do we make of all this and where do things go for Nikki Haley from here? She says she's going to stay in for the long haul, has a lot of money behind her, and and maybe that's one of the reasons she's staying in, as long as that money's coming in, right? She can hang in there, but if, if it starts drying up, she starts looking around and nobody's writing checks anymore, that begins to make a decision for her, Right. 512-836-0590. You can give us a call or send us a text if you would like to be a part of the program here on KLBJ. I want to do a little uh, deep dive here on just some of the exit polling data because I think that's instructive going forward and and kind of begins to to frame what, what could happen longer term. Granted, South Carolina is not, let's well, fair to say, is not representative of the entire country, certainly by any means. But we'll just give you a few of the stats that came out of uh, interviews with 2,100 some Republican voters yesterday. First off, the strong support from the white evangelical Christians for uh, Trump and voters without college degrees, right? So Trump won big time in those two demographics, white evangelical Christians and voters without college degrees. About two-thirds of men, about six in ten women, supported Trump over Haley. That's an important statistic. Six in ten women supported Trump over Haley. Nearly six in ten voters in South Carolina's primary don't have a four-year college degree. I mentioned that. And and of those, about three-quarters voted for Trump. Haley did better among Republicans with four-year degrees. She got just over half the support from those voters. So those with college degrees tend to lean toward Haley. Those without lean toward Trump. That's been fairly consistent over uh, every time that he's run, regardless of what state and, and which campaign, right? Same way with this stat, Trump got more support from those with lower family incomes He had support of roughly three-quarters of those voters with incomes of less than $50,000. Haley did better among those in South Carolina with incomes of $100,000 or more. About four in ten Republican primary voters said immigration was the most important issue. About eight out of ten of those voted for Trump. Roughly 30-some percent said the economy was the most important thing. Trump got 6 in 10 of those voters. Now, get this. This this is a big one, and this is one that's talked about a lot. Well, you like Trump's policies, but you don't like the way he is. Okay, 9 in 10 of those who said they want a candidate with the right temperament supported Haley. Trump voters, he won those that were focused more on electability. Now, here's another good one, and this is going to play not just in South Carolina, but elsewhere, certainly in the South. 
about 6 in 10 South Carolina Republican primary voters didn't think that uh, the, the 2020 election was legitimate and still haven't bought in that Biden's the president. About a third of Republican primary voters said Biden was legitimately elected. About two-thirds said he was not. And then about eight in ten of those Republicans that voted in South Carolina said they were mainly voting for their candidate rather than against their opponent. One other thing that, that came out of yesterday's win for Trump, and this is key, I think, because this guy certainly is representative of the establishment in the U.S. Senate He's the number two guy in the leadership trail there in the Senate for Republicans, Senate Minority Whip John Thune. And he's South Dakota. He was on the phone with Trump after Trump won last night, and he said, okay, you got my endorsement. That's a big deal. McConnell hasn't endorsed Trump, is not likely to, I would suggest. McConnell came out in favor of Tim Scott, earlier in the primary. So that's roughly 30 Republican senators that have endorsed Trump, including Cornyn and Cruz, by the way. Around 18 have not. Around 130-some Republicans in the House have endorsed Trump so far. More coming up here on KLBJ. Stay with us. And Kenny Rawmeyer back with you on a Sunday afternoon. What a beautiful day, huh? Last Sunday in February, we're live and local for you here on News Radio KLBJ. I'm going to finish up talking presidential politics here, just a little bit about uh, what's going on with President Biden's team, because Republicans got most of the focus yesterday in the South Carolina primaries. I, I did want to touch, though, on at least a couple of things that I'd like to see. I mean, we still got several months before Election Day, and... It's kind of interesting, some of the developments taking place within the media itself and just some people that are kind of speaking their mind and and they're getting a whole lot of backlash for it. So I just want to touch on some of that here as we go along this afternoon. You can join us, 512-836-0590. If you want to give us a call or send us a text here on KLBJ, I mentioned that we're still months away from the November elections, but the White House, the Biden campaign, going public yet again this weekend. They're frustrated about how the president's being portrayed in the media. Biden's team says they see this uh, a similar pattern playing out. Reporters fixating on his periodic verbal slips and questions about his age. And meantime, they say, here's Trump with uh, dozens of felony charges, a lot of court cases coming up, saying that he would undermine international alliances, NATO, for example, talking about how he'd crack down on illegals and some of his comments about abortion and all that. But let's stop right there. You're going to tell me that Trump's not getting any coverage on any of that stuff? Oh, my gosh. His court cases, the networks, cables... CNN, certainly Fox, MSNBC, it's, it's 24-7. It's wall-to-wall on that kind of stuff. And that the Biden team complaining about all the coverage of the president's verbal slips, questions about his age, well, let's face it. It is, I don't like to use this phrase, it's overused, but it is the so-called elephant in the room, is it not? I think they're going to have to get used to that. 
or maybe do something about it. How are you going to change it up? Now, we'll get to that in just a moment. There's, he's got some advice this weekend from some unlikely corners. And we'll see what you think about that coming up here in just a moment on KLBJ. There was a great piece, if you remember the name Cheryl Atkinson, investigative reporter. She's won numerous awards for her investigative reporting over time. And she's now working for the Sinclair Broadcasting Group. She had an interesting piece this weekend, and I don't have time to do it justice. I'll just give you uh, the setup and a, a little bit of, of a, a summary of, of what she's talking about. Here's her setup. Essentially, she's saying, if you try to do comparisons between the kind of coverage that Trump has received from the media versus what Biden has received, it's not even close. We're now moving into the most heated phase of the 2024 presidential campaign. Few things are as important to the two top candidates, Biden and Trump, as getting positive coverage in the news. Donald Trump had a decided disadvantage in 2016 and 2020 when it comes to the traditional press and social media. Here at Full Measure, we've documented the media's uniquely harsh treatment of Trump since he first declared his run for the White House, including an explosion in the trend of false reporting by formerly well-respected national news outlets. We've also been tracking media mistakes under the Biden presidency to see if he'd fall victim to the same syndrome. In other words, is the media making an unprecedented number of sloppy but innocent errors, or is their behavior part of a calculated strategy? All right, and then her report goes into another 10 minutes of examples of unfair treatment that Trump has received in the media from the likes of, you're going to recognize the names, right? Predictable, CNN, MSNBC, The New York Times, Newsweek, NBC News, Slate.com, The Washington Post, Vox.com. Just write down the list, and it's example after example of just outright untruths that they reported about Trump over a period of of several years. So again, 10 minutes worth. You can go check it out. Sinclair Broadcasting and Cheryl Atkinson's report. Don't have time to go into all of the examples, but they're there. And and, and so I, I stack that up against the Biden team. And this is not the first time we've heard this. Griping about unfair treatment from the media. It wasn't that long ago, right, when the New York Times publisher said the White House is, quote, extremely upset, end quote, about the reporting on Biden's age and on and on. But that's getting into what would I like to see more of here. We need more fact-checking. We need more transparency from all these phony weasel politicians and certainly the media who are covering them. Uh, you probably saw the clip I'm not going to play it. I get tired of hearing her. She's a former senator from my home state of Missouri. MSNBC contributor Claire McCaskill, right? She was on Morning Joe last Thursday morning. And she said something about how every newspaper in America should quit doing any fact checks on Joe Biden until they fact checked Trump every morning on the front page. Like that doesn't happen. Trump gets fact-checked all the time. In fact, my opinion, not enough. He gets away with a lot of stuff that he puts out there. But 
it usually comes in such tremendous volumes, whomever's interviewing him just literally can't keep up. I've said, if we were going to have any debates, and I'm, I'm more and more sure we're not going to, sadly, if it's Trump and Biden, but th there should be a format such that they would have 15 minutes to talk and then take a break, and then with our AI technology and supercomputing power and everything else, come back and fact check everything they just told us and challenge them to defend any untruths or, or stretching the truth or whatever, right? But keep them honest. Don't we deserve that? Don't you want that as a prospective voter? Am I, I can't be the only one. So when I hear Claire McCaskill saying, well, you shouldn't fact check Joe Biden, my goodness, even, even newspapers like the Washington Post have given him, what, bottomless pit Pinocchios on some of the stuff that he's been saying. So I think we need more of that. And so I was glad to see, and it was interesting that it was on the Fox News side, Fox News White House correspondent Jackie Heinrich this past week reporting on everything that's been going on down on the border. And she essentially said there's hypocrisy on both sides, on all sides of the political spectrum related to what's going on on the border. Good for her. She called it out as an objective reporter. She was calling it like she saw it. Now, on Fox News, that's probably not very popular with a lot of their audience. Same way Friday evening when uh, Trump was at a get-out-the-vote rally in South Carolina. And as Trump was just going on and on, as he's always doing in those big rallies, Fox News host Neil Cavuto pulled away from it and began to point out inaccuracies in what he was saying. I'm sure that wasn't popular for Neil Cavuto and social media at the time, but, but we need more of that. And it needs to happen on both sides. And I think beyond the media, other people should come clean if they're being intellectually honest with how they really feel about what's going on in the campaign. Well, let's hear that too. And I especially appreciate hearing it from somebody who's taken an equal measure of, of both sides. And let's face it, I've got some clips coming up. You may have heard about this. Bob Costas, right? The famous uh, reporter. Sports guy from NBC News over many years, right? How many times did he cover the Olympics, right? A household word, really, as far as Olympics coverage and sports coverage for NBC. I've been a Costas fan, really, way back when he was uh, just a kid covering the St. Louis Cardinals back in St. Louis. Anyway, he came out, said some stuff, not only about Trump, but about Biden. He's representing roughly 70% of the population, really, the voting public, anyway, with what he was saying. I'll play some of those clips for you in just a moment. 512-836-0590. Mike's calling in on KLBJ. Hello, Mike. Hey, Ken. Uh, I think for some, to some degree, the press is treating uh, Biden and Trump equally on the, the bad news or the, the derogatory things, but the only difference is Trump loves it. <laughs> he doesn't care what kind of publicity he gets. You're right about that. You are so right. I, you know, th th when he was getting the wall-to-wall -wall coverage of his uh, court cases, right, when they were just bouncing from one case to another, and... He thrives on it. You're right. And, and it was coverage 
24-7, wall-to-wall and all that, and, and you're right. I think he embraces it. He is certainly not a fan of, you know, the old adage that, that not all press or not all PR is good PR. To your point, he does embrace it, and he the, the he likes it, he loves it, he wants more of it, right? Positive or negative. Yes. Center of attention. <laughs> and so, and, and the Biden team says, well, they're not getting a fair shake. You don't, I'm, I'm glad to see more coverage uh, of both sides in that way. Aren't you, Mike, when it gets down to it, wouldn't you rather, don't we deserve that as voters, as taxpayers? Oh, Mike's dropped off. Okay. Well, thanks for calling in. I, it's our, it's only our future, by the way, right? It's only the future of, of this country and the free world. So here's, I want to play you a couple of clips from Costas. He was on CNN's Michael Smirconis show yesterday morning. And he came out strong against Biden and against Trump. He started off with a rant against Trump. Here it is. He is by far the most disgraceful figure in modern presidential history. He's only become more disgraceful since 2016 and since 2020. He is a bubbling cauldron of loathsome traits, and it's only those who are actually suffering from Trump derangement syndrome, which is the way they and Fox News and all the rest of MAGA media try to brush aside all the legitimate criticisms of Trump. You have to be in the throes of some sort of toxic delusion in a toxic cult to believe that Donald Trump has ever been in any sense emotionally, psychologically, intellectually or ethically fit to be president of the United States. But his supporters are locked in on that. The depth of his dishonesty is astonishing. He is a person who has no idea what America is all about, a person who has nothing but contempt for our democratic institutions, our constitution, and the rule of law. God help us all. The Trump delusion is not going away on the right, but sane Democrats have to offer a compelling alternative. Biden, for all he has accomplished and for all his basic decency, is not a compelling figure any longer. All right, and so what was amazing is you should have seen the backlash on social media just from Smirconish playing just that, airing that from Costas. I'm, I guarantee I'm getting slammed. I'll check our hit and run club, our, our text platform here. I'm probably getting slammed for, for playing it right now, for just replaying it. But I'm gonna play you more because he was an equal opportunity criticizer yesterday. That was his anti-Trump rant. Here's a little bit of what he said about President Biden. There is no cult okay. of Joe Biden. Even, just let me finish this thought, Michael. Even if he had not run explicitly with the pledge that he would be a one-term president, even if halfway through this term he had said, look, I've done my job. I have some policy successes. I'll continue to do my job. And now the Democrats can get, as I said before, some people up in the bullpen and sort through it. He had a chance to be seen as a statesman and a patriot. Now his legacy is likely to be that of a man whose hubris prevented him from seizing the moment in an appropriate way. And at best, he can squeak by Trump. That's at best. Or he could lose to Trump and subject the nation to four more years of this kind of ongoing insanity. Or if he squeaks by, it's very likely that he cannot complete his second term. He'd be 86 at the end of it. And he wasn't done there. Here's a little more Acostas on CNN, anti-Biden. He cannot make that case for himself. 
He cannot make a clear, cogent, vigorous case for himself, nor can he prosecute the obvious case against Trump in the court of public opinion. Gavin Newsom frequently goes on these programs, like yours, uh, and makes a very articulate and detailed case for President Biden. But all it makes me and millions of others think is, Biden is incapable of uttering even two consecutive sentences of the five perfect paragraphs that Newsom just put together. And I think Nate Silver, you quoted earlier, uh, saying that he's got to get out there and do four interviews with unfriendly or at least uh, down the middle, not softball interviews. But the problem with that is his own staff knows that he has to be bubble wrapped, that he can't do a Super Bowl interview. It's sad to say, Biden is obviously on balance a decent man. He served his country, and no matter what, sane people will vote for him over Trump. But it's a hell of a risk to send this guy out there. Trump is a monster. You shouldn't send this guy out there at this point in his life to try and slay the dragon. He said it bubble wrap. That's uh, insiders told the New York Times. That's what Biden's team is calling his campaign. It was the basement campaign last time, right? It's the bubble wrap campaign this time. Ben's calling in on KLBJ. Hi, Ben. Oh, hello. How are you? Great. Thank you. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Uh, don't know exactly what I can add, except that I notice when you have these opinions that are so extreme, they they are apart from any sort of middle truth. Um, to call Trump a monster after he has already served four years, that would seem to cut any sort of credibility from that argument. And then you kind of wonder, okay, so he said something accurate about Biden, but there needs to be a choice. We can't just say, okay, well, this is horrible, and this other thing is incredible, and so we're not going to do anything. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, Ben, and and that's... It seems like you have to at least offer some sort of alternative, um, or you're just going to go around in a circle, which does not end. Well, Ben, thanks. In fairness, what Costas did did put out there is said... Biden should have said, I'm a one-term president, and that would have given the Democrats four years then to get the bench ready and, and have better alternatives than the one that they have now. Stephen's calling in on KLBJ. Hi, Stephen. Hello, Kenny. Hi. Well, I think that it's not fair to attack Trump in that way. I think Trump has a superpower that he can assess what large groups of people need, but he's a very poor judge of individual character. And I think that's why so many of his appointments uh, sort of fizzled out. He, he, he picked way too many rhinos and way too many backstabbers to, uh, to do tasks for him. And I hope that he has, has other people that help him pick his staff and help him make appointments and do better this next time. But Can I just ask, Stephen, are, are you going to call one of his uh, former chiefs of staff, uh, a war hero? You're going to call uh, his defense secretary, uh, a war hero? You're going to call those guys rhinos and losers? I are, think are those among Millie the really examples? Was. I think that Milley really is a traitor. If he was in direct communication with uh, communist China, and not letting his superior know. Okay, I wasn't referring to Millie, but there again, um, Trump certainly burned through a whole lot of of staff and personnel choices. Let me just get to this real quickly. When when Costas was making the point about how, my goodness, Gavin Newsom can get out there and sing Biden's praises, 
and, and Biden can't even come close to that. Here's a great example of that. Newsom on NBC's Meet the Press. And, and just listen to this articulate case. You can disagree with it. I disagree with virtually all of it. But it was as good a case you're going to hear for Biden from Newsom. To show I think he's doing that. everything he needs to do. I mean, he's got an extraordinary record. He's doing everything he needs to do on Ukraine at the moment. He's doing everything he needs to do uh, to reconcile and wrestle some common sense as it relates to a bipartisan approach to address the issue of the border, uh, where the Republicans couldn't take yes for an answer yeah. uh, because they don't want to make that a political issue. Uh, he is leading. And so, no, from my humble perspective, not only the last three years have been extraordinary, I've been out with, as you know, on the campaign trail, I was just out in California, I've seen him up close, I've seen him from far, but here's my point. It's because of his age that he's been so successful. It's because of the wisdom and the character that's developed over years that we have the Chips and Science Act, the Infrastructure Bill and the PACT Act and the Safer Communities Act. And because we've seen these bipartisan accomplishments because of his capacity of understanding, because of his leadership. So the opportunity to express that for four more years, what a gift it is for the American people and as a Democrat, for me, to make the case for the leader of our party, Joe Biden. I am here celebrating the extraordinary accomplishments of the Biden-Harris administration, making the case that we need to make to lift up the issues, lift up the record, drive contrast with the Republican nominee to be Donald Trump Have you so that we calls? can win for four more years. Idle chatter, it's all around. It's, you know what, that's a sideshow. I think what Democrats need to do is worry less, do more, continue to overperform as we have, continue to win. All right, and so he just goes on and on there saying he's not going to be the guy. So, by the way, I was referring to the... Uh, Chief of Staff, former Chief of Staff for Trump, that was John Kelly. And then Mad Dog Mattis was the Defense Secretary I was referring to, not Milley. And did I tell you? Here, here it comes in our texting platform. The two clips that I, I played uh, from Costas there, those assessments from Costas were nothing alike. Yours, such of, of uh, what does he say here? Uh, it's so, my, oh, my favoritism is so obvious. I've been playing both sides, right? I've been playing both sides. My favoritism is obvious, and therefore, they're not going to listen to station anymore. Okay, thank you. Thanks for that. We're going to wrap up here in just a moment on KLBJ. Hey, thanks for being with us here as we begin to wrap up on KLBJ. Yeah, the text messages, geez, they keep coming in. Somebody here says, I'm balanced. Here's somebody else says, I need to get off the fence. <laughs> I've identified myself. I haven't said it today. I've said many times. I voted for Trump twice. I'll do it again if my choice is Trump versus Biden. That's, that's not even close. But the reason I played Costas and what I'd like to hear more of, 70-some percent of the American public feel like Costas does. They're not interested in either one. Too late now for most of that crowd at this point, right? Want to get to uh, a couple of follow-ups here on that on the big balloon, right? That was over Utah. You probably heard by now. NORAD said it's very likely a hobby balloon. I guess I'd like for him to be a little more definitive. It, I mean, it was over Utah, and now it's gone out of airspace after we discovered it. So does that raise any concerns? It was about fifty feet tall, carried a payload about the size of a two-foot cube. But beyond that. We've got some members of Congress about that spy balloon from January of last year, right? 
Haven't heard a whole lot about that. And members of Congress, Daryl Issa from California in particular, senior member of the House Judiciary and Foreign Affairs Committee, is saying the Congress has yet to get a, a briefing from the FBI on that whole deal. And we'd like to have more transparency from the administration. What was that all about? Let's, let's get all the details on it, one way or the other. I mentioned the AT&T deal, and $5 credit is what you're going to get for that. Not much, right? Boy, tomorrow, Supreme Court case, big deal. Oral arguments to determine the constitutionality of a Texas law and a related Florida law. Can social media platforms... Suspend accounts of political candidates or media publications. Who gets to do that? Interesting. We'll follow it. Thanks for being with us on KLBJ.